Turn with me to um, Numbers chapter 13. This is where we're going to be at this morning, 13 and 14, uh, actually. What I'm going to do this morning, I'm going to kind of do things a little differently. Um, This is what I do when I do um, children's ministry. Every time that we get together for team kids, um, I walk through the kids the story of the Bible. Um, Now, we do that for a couple reasons. I, I want them to know God's big plan of redemption. I want them to know um, what the Bible's about, and I want them to know where the story we're talking about fits into God's big plan of redemption. So we're going to do that this morning, if you guys will let me. Um, even if you won't, I'm going to do it, because I'm up here. So um, we're going we're to go over, um, we're going to start in Genesis, and then we're going to work up to our passage that we're in. All right, so I'm going to do this real quick and kind of hit some points. Um, and, and basically, this is just kind of to give some context to where we're at in the scriptures. Um, if any of you guys watch soap operas, this is kind of like that. You know how the beginning of so- soap operas, they, they have, you know, scenes from the last episode. They're like, last week, Janet slept with Bob, you know, all this terrible stuff. All right, that's kind of what this is, all right? So we're setting up the context of the story today by hitting key points of the passage. So what we're going to do is we're going to start off um, with creation, all right? So God's big plan of redemption, we start off with creation, and um, Creation is when God speaks everything that exists into being with just his words. I mean, if you think about it, that is awesome, all right? So when God says, let there be light, not only does light appear, but it appears according to how he thought it should be. So he speaks stuff into existence, but he also defines it just with his word. And that's cool to me. So like when he says, let there be he speaks, you know, light, and then he says, let there be uh, the earth, and he says, let there be plants. All these things come into being, and God spoke them in, and he defined them. And, and what was the crown of his creation? What was the most spectacular thing he made? Us, right? Men, because we were made in God's image, okay? And then um, the next scene in God's big story is fall. And that's when God's, God's own image bearers screw stuff up. So it doesn't take long in God's story for us to see um, our big problem, our problem of sin. So the story of, of fall is when sin enters the world. And if you think about that for a minute, everything bad and wrong with our world today is because of sin in the world. Okay, so uh, mosquitoes, traffic jams, Ebola, you know, all that stuff, bad stuff, and it's, because, it's a result of our sin, okay? Um, and then the next part of God's uh, story is the flood, all right? Man, we have sin, and, and there needs to be judgment against that, all right? Sin can't go unnoticed, so God sends in a flood to wipe out all of humanity, but he has favor on one man named Noah, and he shows grace to him, and he saves his life, all right? And, um, and that's just... Uh, Noah builds the ark, and the ark is, is, is the only hope of getting out of God's wrath. So the ark to us is a picture of Jesus and salvation. So we have the creation, the fall, the flood, and then we get to promises. And, and here in promises, this is going to start adding um, some context to our story. So in promises, there's this guy named Abram, and he's, he's a sinner. He's living, um, he's living in Ur of the Chaldeans, and he's worshiping false gods. But then God calls Abraham and he says, all right, I'm gonna make you a great nation, all right? This isn't the life I have for you, Abraham. This is what I have in store for you. I want you to follow me and go to a land that I'm preparing for you. 
So God prepared, or sends Abram to go to the promised land, which is a place that is flowing with milk and honey. And it's a place that God himself has chosen for Abraham. But in order for Abraham to get there, he's got to uh, have some descendants. So God promises him a child. And we're, we're getting close. I'm sorry, we're getting there. Um, so God promises him a child and uh, he gets his, his son, Isaac. Isaac has Jacob and Jacob's name gets changed to Israel, all right? And Israel has 12 sons and those become the 12 tribes of Israel, okay? So then we have these 12 sons who are gonna become the 12 tribes of Israel and Joseph, one of the younger sons, is sold by his brothers into slavery. So he gets hauled off to Egypt and he's kind of got this bad deal. But then God in, in his awesomeness, he works it together for his good. And he moves him up to second in command of all of Egypt. And then Joseph, Joseph is actually in a place to, to save the people of Israel. All right? So now the people are, are in Egypt. Um, Pharaoh dies off. And then uh, the new Pharaoh puts all of God's people in slavery. All right, so now we have 400 years of slavery. They're living in slavery. And um, God, God comes to rescue them. They cry out and they say, God, remember your promise to Abraham. Remember how you said you were gonna take us to the promised land. That's what we want. So save us from this captivity. So God does. He sends Moses. He saves them out of that land. He brings them into the wilderness. And then we get to where we're at in our story today. <sighs> okay, sorry. We get to where we're at our story today. Moses sends in some spies to, to look at the land that God has promised. So he sends them in there. He says, hey, go check everything out. And then we're gonna come and take this land. So uh, what we're reading right here in chapter Numbers 13, starting in verse 25, this is um, kind of the spies report of the land and then the people's response. So starting in verse 25. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to all of them, all of the congregation, and they showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land which you sent us and it flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Okay, so it starts off good. They're saying, hey, it's exactly what God told us about. Verse 28, however, the people who dwell in the land are strong and their cities are fortified and very large. And besides that, we saw the descendants of the Anak and the Amalekites dwell in the land of Negeb and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the hill country and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan. But then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and he said, let us go up at once to occupy it for we are able to overcome. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against these people for they are stronger than we. So they brought the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying that the land which we have gone up to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And we saw the Nephilim there, the sons of Anak that come from the Nephilim. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, so we seem to them. Verse 14, this is how the people respond. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept all night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we have died in the land of Egypt. Would that we have died here in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land? To fall by the sword? So our wives and our little ones will become prey? Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. 
Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they said to the congregation of the people of Israel, the land that we passed through to spy out was exceedingly good. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bred for us and their protection is removed from them. And the Lord is with us, do not fear. Then the congregation said to stone them with stones, but the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me in spite of the signs that I have done among them? Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for your scripture. Thank you so much for your word. Um, And I just pray that you would be with us today as we dig into this passage, as we look at this, that you would just help us to see what truth is here for us. That your spirit would be here, God. He would speak through me and and he would um, compel me and, and compel all of us to respond how you want us to respond to this word today. I pray this in your name, amen. All right, so the passage we're looking at today, I know that was a really long setup and a long, you know, long scripture, but um, what we're looking at today basically is where the children of Israel blow it, all right? And this happens a lot for the children of Israel. But um, today, they, they mess up in a really big way. They have a great sin of distrusting God. And as I've looked at this all week, man, I, I've just really, I've seen myself in the children of Israel. Um, and, and I, I kind of hope that's, that's what we get today. As we look at this, um, we, we can take from, from how they respond to God and respond to his truth, and we can try to apply that in our life and say, all right, I don't want to be like that. I see some of these same things in my heart. How can I, how can I do better? Okay, so that's, that's what I kind of want us to take from here. Um, so what we're going to start with is we're going to look at the big obstacle in their way. So, um, man, this should be an exciting day for the children of Israel. 400 years in slavery, they've been camping out. Man, doesn't a home sound like a good thing if you've been camping out in slavery for 400 years? So they, they should be excited. This is the day they've been waiting for forever. Man, God's promise is gonna come to be, but there's an obstacle in the way. So what obstacle is it? Well, they get to their home and somebody else is living in their home, all right? So if someone said, Daniel, I have you this house, and then I get there and I'm like, Oh, there's people in it already though, you know? This, this isn't gonna work out. They're gonna have to leave first. That's what the people are saying, um, saying to God. And they're saying, not only are they people, but man, these are scary people. They're big people. They're people who could easily take me, all right? So they have this obstacle in their, their way um, in between them and the promise of God, all right? So this is what God has for them. And then some, some little bump comes in the road, all right? And, and how many of you guys can, can uh, identify with that? You know, God has something good for you. He said, hey, this is what I want for your life. This is what I want you to do. And then you realize it might be hard. And you're like, wait a second. You know, I don't know if I signed up for this. This is gonna be tough. All right, so that's where they're at. They've got this big obstacle um, that comes in the way. And then um, I, I want you to notice what they do because this is exactly what I do when a big obstacle comes in my way. Uh, they, they don't look to God and all of his glory and all of his might. They don't look at his promise what they do is they look at themselves, don't they? They turn and they look at themselves and they say, wait a second, we can't handle this. We, we, we're, we've got all these insufficiencies and problems. Those people will destroy us. That land, it says that that land will devour us. That's their attitude. They're saying, 
man, we can't do this on our own. And they're right. I mean, they can't do it on their own, but they so easily forget that they have an almighty God right at their back who, who has already proved himself over and over and over and is right there to bring a victory to them. And I just think that's a dangerous thing to do when we have problems is to, to look in at ourselves, like, how am I going to fix this? What am I going to do? Well, if you start doing that, you're going to be pretty miserable because you're not going to be able to do anything. And that's what they do. And then we see um, in verse 14, this is the outcome of their misery. They look in, in at themselves, and then this is what that leads to. Verse 14, then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept all night, and the people grumbled against Moses and Aaron. I can't even imagine the terrible sound that would be. You know, I've heard a few people crying before. Two million people in the desert, whining, welling, crying. And then how much would you have hated to be Moses and Aaron? I mean, like, if, who's worked at a complaint department? This is like that ramped up a million times. Two million people coming to you and telling you about all their problems and, and how, um, how, how they're not trusting God and stuff. Man, that would have been terrible. And that's what Moses and Aaron are dealing with. And if things weren't bad enough, they've been crying and complaining against Moses and Aaron, things get even worse because they turn their attention towards complaining against God. And, and even worse than that, in verse three, look what they do. They question God's goodness. They say, why is the Lord bringing us into this land? Now, th- that in and of itself isn't a terrible thing. I mean, if, if we answer that, we can say, well, God's bringing it in because he's got a promise for him. Because he said to Abraham, I'm going to do this for you and your offspring. So that's not a bad thing. But, but what their conclusion is, is God's bringing us here to, to, to bring us harm. He's going to kill us. And he's going to take all of our, our kids and our wives and they're going to be prey for the nation. So they start questioning God's goodness. That's what we see happen in this passage. And questioning God's goodness is never, never a good idea. Um, I think back to the Garden of Eden, and that's the temptation in, that, um, that he brought out on Eve. He said, hey, does God really have what's best for you in mind? And I think that's where I fell a lot of times if I start questioning that way. Well, Daniel, does God have your best in mind for marriage or, or for you know, or finances? Maybe you'd be better off if you came up with your own plan. But we see how that works out for Eve. Man, she, she questions God's goodness and then she walks right towards slavery. And that's what happens to the children of Israel. When they question God's goodness, where do they want to go back to? Slavery. They say, all right, we're done with this. We're going back to Egypt, all right? Well, what's so good about Egypt? Um, the, the children of Israel are nice enough to tell us what they love about Egypt. Um, Numbers 11 and 5, this is a previous time they were complaining against God. They said, Oh, do you guys miss the land of Egypt? We had meat to eat. Remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing? The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onion, the garlic. And then again in Exodus 16.3, the people of Israel said, would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt when we used to set by big meat pots and ate bread by the full. But you've brought us here in the wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Um, They've got a really bad memory of what happened in Egypt. They're remembering wrongly. Uh, they were in slavery. They were in bondage. What, what they call free food is what they got fed so they could work. I mean, that, that's what that was. They, they, it's not good. It's not a great thing, but they're remembering it wrongly. Uh, this, this is how it would read if they were being honest with themselves, if they were speaking about the reality of their situation. Oh, that we were back in the great land of Egypt. Do you guys remember the beatings we used to get? 
man, weren't those great? They'd whip us all day and they'd, they'd try to get us to keep working. And you remember, we could work as much overtime as we wanted. They never stopped us. Even if it was dark outside, they let us keep working. Sometimes they even made us. Okay, well, that's ridiculous, right? But I do the same thing with my sin. And so do you guys. Sometimes, sometimes I look back at my sinful life and I say, remember how good things were when I could live in my lust? Remember how good things were when I could have my, my heart of pride? Remember how good things were when I could seek out my own vengeance and I could get justice for myself? But I'm telling you what, I'm remembering wrongly. That's a, that's a bad selective memory. That's not truth. That's not truth. I was in slavery. I was in bondage to sin. And it, it heaped burdens up on me and made my life hard. But I, there's one thing I don't, I, I think they forget how severe their oppression was and they also forget how amazing their rescue was. And, and I think for me, that's what I need to do in my life. I need to remember, hey, man, your oppression was bad back here and how Christ has rescued you is amazing, all right? So I need to keep those things just constantly in front of me. And that's what the children of Israel should have done. Um, so, so we've seen just a few ways uh, that, that faithlessness kind of brings about these problems in their, our life, okay? So there's us turning our focus inward on ourself and then kind of feeling hopeless, really, because we are, you know, if we're on our own. Um, there, there's us questioning God and doubting his goodness. And then there's this false uh, memory of, of what our slavery was like. But what I want to look like now, or look at now, um, are these four guys that, man, they really knock it out of the park. In this passage, there are four guys that, man, they just keep doing everything right and they respond to the people's lack of faith in an awesome way. And I want everybody in here to pay attention to this because this is how I need to respond to my own lack of faith. And it's how I need to respond to, to my lack of faith in my, my accountability partner's lives and my friends' lives and my parents' lives. Whenever we see stuff going on in other people's lives and we can tell that they're, they're, they're wishing they were back in slavery, that they're doubting God's goodness, this is how our hearts should respond. Numbers 14, starting in verse five. Then Moses, and this, this is Moses and Aaron responded. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. So what we see is these four men, they first, they respond in brokenness over sin. They say, wait, wait, guys, that's not right. You're, you're remembering things wrongly and it tears them up so much inside that they physically act out what's happening. Moses and Aaron, they fall to the ground. I think they do that to be humble in front of God, but I also think they do that because they know God's about to show up and they don't wanna be standing up where everybody else is standing when God shows up. They want to be already in a position of mercy saying, hey, we're not with these guys. That's why we're on the ground. All right, so they're getting ready for God to show up. And then Caleb and Joshua, man, they're brokenhearted as well. And they literally start ripping their clothes. Man, it's tearing them up inside and they start ripping their clothes off. And, and what in the, in the Bible, when we see someone rip their clothes or tear their garments, just like uh, pastor talked about with King David after his great sin, that happens for two reasons. One, there's a great loss, or two, there's a tragic death. And, and right here, we see both of them. For, for the nation of Israel, there's been a great loss of, of uh, their faith. And they, they've let go of their faith. They've distrust God. 
And that also brings about the second thing. There's a tragic death of any hope they could have. And those two things, they go hand in hand. If you let go of trust in God, you let, hope go, you let go of hope of any victory. Okay, that's, that's, what, that's what they're saying with their response. These righteous men are physically acting out what's taking place in their heart. They're broken against sin. And, and that should be my response too. When I see doubt in my own heart, when I start walking away from the promises of God, man, I need to be broken over my sin. The second thing we see uh, is in Numbers 14, starting in verse seven. It says that they said to the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we spied out and passed through is exceedingly good. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. So um, what they do next is really cool. So they've already, you know, they've already shown their brokenness over sin. And then what they do is they start telling the people the lies that they've believed. And then they tell them the truth about God. So they, they kind of go back here and they say, all right, way back here when you started to step away from God, it's not true that God wants to kill you. Well, he probably does now. Let's be fair because of how they act. But God didn't want to kill you right when you got over here. He had this awesome promise for you. So that was a lie you believe. Another lie you believe, things aren't better in your slavery. They're worse. They're so much worse. You don't want to go back there. So they, they start telling them the lies they're believing and then they come over here and they tell them the truth. They say, no, what God wanted is he wanted to bring you in this land that he had promised to you. And the truth is that, that victory is ours, not because of who we are and what we can do, but because of him. And they start reminding him of all that God has done for him and the victory that they've had through him. So I love that, that that's how they respond. And I think that's how we as believers need to respond. Man, we need to, we need to call out the lies when we see them. So for instance, if, uh, if, you, if you have a sin of lust in your life and, and you're gonna believe some lies if you start distrusting God. All right, okay, this is gonna satisfy me. This is gonna meet some needs and some cravings. Oh, it, it's all right, I deserve this break. Well, so what you need to do is you need to start telling yourself that those are lies, all right? This is not gonna satisfy me. This isn't God's plan for me. What God's plan for me is, is that I would delight in my wife and I would look at her and how beautiful she is, which she is, by the way, if you look back there, I mean. But so that's God's plan for me, not lust, all right? So you tell yourself the lies and then, or t- tell yourself where you're, you're listening to lies and you speak truth into your life. And then the next thing they do, and this is just awesome, they go straight to the gospel. So before Jesus has even shown up, they go to the gospel. So um, they've already pointed out the people's sin. They've already told them the lies. They've already spoken truth. And this is what they say in verse eight. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land. All right, now, let me ask you a question. Is the Lord happy with these people right now? No. His eyes are fiery red hot and his wrath is about to come down. But what Joshua and Caleb are doing is they're inviting the people to come back to the Lord's delight. They're saying, all right, God is not happy with you, but, but if he is happy with you, this is what you get. Blessings are still here, guys. You got to return to this though. You want God to be smiling down on us and, and looking at you with delight. That's still over here, but you got to come back. So that's what they're telling. They're inviting them to, to the gospel. They're inviting them to faith and repentance. They're saying, all right, you got to turn away from distrust. You got to repent 
And then you got to walk back to when, when we were in this right standing with God. You got to walk back to him and say, God, I trust you. Um, and, and I know your promises are good. And then you got to say, you got to appropriate the gospel. All right. So you stand over here and you say, this was my sin. I've turned from it. I'm focusing on you. I know that I'm, I'm insufficient. I know that I'm weak, but I know victory comes for you, God. Forgive me for that. That's what they're inviting them back to. And sadly, the people don't do it. The people, um, they pick up stones to actually to, to kill Joshua and Caleb for, for trying to invite them back into the Lord's delight. So we see from the four righteous men that um, we, we have to have a brokenness over our sin. We need to point out the lies, fix our eyes on the truth, and then we need to go straight to the gospel. Um, then this is, this is really crazy. So they pick up the rocks and this is where things get really ugly because God himself shows up, all right? So the God they've been uh, saying doesn't love them, doesn't care for them, the God they've been saying we can't trust you, the God they've been complaining about for days, he shows up. The presence of the Lord shows up and it says that it is in front of all the people. So um, God's, God's angry, all right? Have you guys ever been in so much trouble that your parents have a conversation about how bad you've been in front of you. They don't even bother to ask you to leave the room. All right, that's what's happening here, all right? God is angry. He shows up. Moses and him are right here. Let's pretend you guys are the people of Israel, all right? Which isn't a stretch because we're all, we're all pretty sinful too. So God shows up and he's like, Moses, what are these people doing? I can't believe them. And Moses is down here, you know, he's on the ground. I'm not getting on the ground, but he's like, I don't know, God. I'm just as confused as you are. And God's like, I'm going to kill them. I'm going to kill them. They're not listening to me. They're not obeying. I've heard my dad say that before too, by the way. So <laughs> they, they are in a, God's got a hot anger against them, all right? And, and I can see the people out, you know, the, the children of Israel, they start dropping rocks. And they're like, what should we do? Do what Moses is doing. You know, they, they start getting on their knees. They start getting how dumb they've been and how foolish it was of them to doubt God's goodness. That's what starts happening. And then God says this. He's, not only is God angry, he's also heartbroken. He's heartbroken over what the people have done. In verse 11, it says, how long will these people despise me? This trust in God isn't a small thing. It's actually us hating God. It's us saying, you know, if we're saying my slavery is better than your plan, God, I feel like I'm safer over here in the land of Egypt with Pharaoh and these guys who, who had it out for me and were trying to kill me when I just left. If we're saying that, we, we can't be saying, God, your way is best and I love you. Man, we're, we're acting hateful for, towards God. Our sin's a big thing. We're rebelling against him and saying that we don't trust what he's got for us. And because of that, God speaks to Moses and says, I'm gonna kill these people. And God would be just in doing that, right? They're the ones who've walked away from his promise. They're the ones who said, hey, we don't want, to do, we don't want anything to do with you. He says that I'm, I, I'm gonna disinherit these people. Basically, I'm gonna disown these people, but, but because they've disowned him. And God says, I'll still work the promise out for the nation of Israel, but Moses, we're gonna restart with you because you do have my pleasure and I'm delighting in you. And we're just gonna restart and, and uh, try to make a generation of people who are like you. And then Moses comes in. God's wrath's kindled against the, the people of Israel. And Moses, a righteous man who fears the Lord, 
steps in between the people of Israel and God's wrath, and he says, God, remember your promise. Look at verse 18. This is what Moses reminds the Lord of. He says, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but, they will, or, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting iniquity of the fathers on the children. He's saying, God, man, remember that you're patient, you're loving, and you're gracious. Hey, I know that we're wrong. I'm not saying we don't deserve consequences. These people have rebelled again and again and again, and they deserve punishment. And then in verse 19, he says, but please pardon their iniquity according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you've forgiven these people from Egypt until now. He's saying, hey God, please continue to show mercy. Please continue to show grace. We know we deserve death. You wouldn't be wrong in doing that, but we ask for your mercy. We ask for your grace. That's what Moses is pleading for and begging for. And then in verse 20, the Lord responds, I have pardoned according to your word. He says, Moses, because we're in right relationship, because, because you, you do have my pleasure, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pardon these people's sin. Now, there still are consequences. They have to wander in the desert for 40 more years, camping out. I know some of you guys like camping, but camping for 40 years sounds terrible. You would run out of marshmallows like in a matter of weeks. And I don't think I could handle that. But, um, but anyways, um, I, I think God does punish him because he wants him to know how grieved he is and how displeased he is when we don't trust him. You know, he, he says to him at the, uh, in verse 11, he says, how will they not believe in me in spite of all the things that I have done? He's saying, I've been good to these people. I rescued them out of slavery. They, they asked me to bring them to the promised land. They asked me to bring them here. And I've been good to him. I took him out. Man, I, I, you know, I spread the Red Sea. I let him walk across. I gave him food, water in the desert, enough the whole time for, for millions of people. God supplied all that. He said, I didn't let their sandals wear out or their clothes fade. And I protected them from every enemy who's been in their way. And now they do this to me. And that, that just, man, that, that makes me think, of me. I, I just, I was working on this last night and I just had to get down on my knees and repent because that, that's me. That's me. I, man, I blow it. I, I run away from God. I ask him to do big things and then I distrust him when he's going to do them. How silly of that is me. I, you know what I, I need to do is I need to remind myself of all the victories that Christ has accomplished in my life. That's, I need to live like that. I need to live saying, all right, okay, Daniel, remember, okay, last time you had to do this, man, God showed up in this awesome way. You can trust in him. And I can look at the scriptures and this whole book is about God showing up. That's what this book's about. God shows up and he does big things. And, and we can count on him. We really can. But where things go bad is, is when we distrust in God, we rebel from him. We say, I don't want nothing to do with you. I'm going back to slavery. And that's what the people have done. Um, we see Moses, he, he stands up and he defends the people. And this is a really cool picture of what Jesus does for us. So just like Moses stands in the way and he, he intercedes for the people, that's what Jesus does for me. God's anger and his wrath are, are against me and what I've done. And then Jesus gets in between us and he says, all right, God, just, just remember your patience and your grace. Remember your love. I know Daniel's a moron. I know he's blown it. I know he screwed up, but be gracious to him, God. And then God says, all right, Jesus, I will, not because of him, but because of you. 
because of your right standing with me. And he says, but there's still a matter of my wrath. Who's gonna take that? And then Jesus says, I'll absorb it all. I'll take it all. Daniel deserves punishment. It has to be done. If it's not done, God's not just. So God says, I'm pouring out wrath. And Jesus says, pour it out on me. And that's what he does at the cross. He takes our wrath. He takes our punishment so that we can be in a right standing with God. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for the gospel. We thank you for your great love of us, God. How we're in our sin, we're in our rebellion, we're running away from you. We're not trusting in your promises and we deserve your wrath. But we thank you so, so much for Jesus. We thank you that, that if, we, if we return to your delight, God, if we practice faith and repentance and we turn to, to Christ on the cross, that we can have a right relationship with you. Thank you so much, God. We pray this in your name, amen.